So I, uh, it's kind of interesting that we're already coming to the end of the first, uh, the first book that we've done together as a as a fellowship and as a class since uh, since we started, uh, a few, uh, you know, a few months ago. Um, in Second Peter chapter three, seventeen through eighteen, let's read it. To, uh, just you know, follow along. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And it's clearly the conclusion of the book. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, you don't see this kind of concept of amen. But but I kind of feel like, and just going back and reviewing, that Second Peter is coming to a bit of an abrupt end. Um, I don't feel like he's landing the plane the same way Paul does. He's not uh, saying, you know, this person salutes you, and I'm looking forward to seeing this person, and all those different kind of closing salutations that that Paul normally includes in his writings. Uh, Peter just is kind of teaching, 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 and then says, amen. And, um, you know, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So um, we're going to approach the last lesson today really looking at these concepts that appear right before. So we're not really going to spend a whole lot of time on uh, the kind of the conclusion of the matter, so to speak. I don't think that's really what he's talking about here. There is a, there's an aspect of that because he says, seeing you know these things before, the things that he's talked about. But we'll, we'll pull some of that out, and it does kind of have a bookend concept. Um, but but we'll see uh, we'll see some 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 contrast to the beginning of the book. Uh, so so the first slide that I've got is really the 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 chart or the graph that you have, and I'll leave this up here long enough. Hopefully you can see it is just the phrases um, in uh, the the verses. But seeing you know these things, you really have two options. You can be led away with the error of the wicked. Uh, and fall from your own steadfastness, so I chose red, bad. Or you can grow in grace and subsequently grow in knowledge. Um, those are your two options, right? And, and again, this will be up there, so you know I would suggest you write it, but don't feel like you have to write it frantically. Um, see, so, so I don't know if this is ringing any kind of bell with, with folks that maybe were here from the beginning, but this is a bookend concept that we really looked at at the beginning of Second Peter. Uh, for those of you who joined when we were still in the boiler room or maybe online, I drew a very horrible diagram. I, not, not, it was just horrible from a drawing standpoint. It wasn't a horrible diagram, but I did a, a poor job. And, but if you remember, there was a, a person who was given things, who was blessed with things, but that caused a path, the two options to a path. And so these verses, Second Peter 1.8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. So you'll have fruit. You won't be barren. You'll have fruit in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So literally, what he started with at the beginning of his lesson, or at the beginning of his uh, letter, rather, he's saying you have some things that are expected of you, some choices that you can make. If you do those, you will have fruit and you will grow and, uh, and literally grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said that in 1 Peter 1.8. 
it was the inverse, right? So he said the, the good thing first, the bad thing second. It, and in this, in, in chapter 3, it's the other way around. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So literally, that's the same concept here, that you can be led down the wrong path. You'll be blind. You can't see. You'll end up going the wrong direction. And you won't. You know, you will, you will forget that you're purged from your old sins and you'll fall from your steadfastness. Those are similar concepts. So he started his letter with this, I guess I'll call it contrast between these two verses. And he ends his letter with the, in essence, same principled contrast. Now, you may have heard me speak on or, uh, you know, LFBI students or, or, or folks that have studied scripture for some period of time. There's a concept called parallelism. And we're seeing it a lot, actually, now that we get into uh, the chapters we're in in Proverbs on Tuesday night, where it's like the righteous does, is like this, but the, the wicked is like this. Or the young man's like this, but the, wiz, the wise man is like that, right? I mean, there's these very distinct contrasts. And then there's some that, you know, that are, are like more of a comparison. You know, the righteous is like a something right and you see that in psalms and in the wisdom books in particular but you see that a lot in psalms and in proverbs peter is as a as a honestly as a jewish man as a good jew communicates that same way we've actually lost that a lot in our current society it, it wasn't even that long ago that people used a lot of parallelism right one of the most famous um speeches in presidential history uh, in the 60s was John F. Kennedy's, you know, uh, ask not what you can do for your country, or uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That is a concept in parallelism. And that, 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 that the, the use of parallelism is, real, is, still, is still evident in literature, good literature actually, um, but it's not too, uh, too common in our speech anymore. It's not too common in our, our communication. We just kind of get to the point. You ought not sin. We don't say, you know, a sinner is like unto, you know, stepping in a quagmire or something, right? I mean, we don't we don't talk like that, and that's okay. I'm not I'm not upset or bad, mad about it. It's just that Peter really has this perspective to pull in a contrast, and contrast can be really really valuable. What we're going to look at today is not the things that we've already we've already talked about through the book, right? Seeing you know these things. None of them were terribly hard concepts. Some of them maybe were a little hard to apply or a little hard to to uh, to, to truly agree with or, or align with maybe is a better way of saying that. But you have two paths here. And there, there's a key word that he puts there, and I don't know if anybody picked up on it, but it's the word beware. Beware, I was going to drop the word beware here some kind of on these arrows because that really is the crux of the matter. That really is the crux of the matter. When you read the passage, right, and I, I apologize because it was on the screen and I didn't pull it up there in my, in my Bible, but when you read the matter, or the, the passage, the crux of the matter really revolves around, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware. Beware that you don't go this way, and literally, beware that you do go this way. And I'll try to make that literary argument in just a second. So hopefully I've left this on the screen long enough for those of you who are, are taking notes. Um, 
So we're going to spend a few minutes talking about this this word beware. Uh, the the Greek uh, phileso. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure I uh, butchered the uh, enunciation or pronunciation of it. But uh, it's really an interesting word. There's only two times in the New Testament where that word is translated in the King James Bible as beware, and both of them have a negative connotation. In this one, it's beware that you don't be led away and fall, right? Uh, in Luke 12, 15, he said, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. So just be, be mindful of covetousness. So the times that the word beware is translated in English or translated to English beware from phileso is uh, kind of has this negative like watch out where you're stepping like you don't want to step in it beware right but look at this point and I, I intentionally kind of skipped it for a second and these are just some of the concepts that come out of the New Testament from this Greek word now I'm gonna read a fair number of verses but I want you to listen to this Greek word phileso that is translated beyond the word beware. Sometimes it's kept, observed, keeping watch, keep bound, um, a soldier keeping, uh, charging, even even a concept of being saved. Uh, Noah, and, and, and so the first is I want to I, I want to read a few verses out of the Gospels, and, and again you can write these references down if you want. You certainly don't have to, but. Matthew 19:20 The young man saith unto him all these things have I kept from my youth up what lack I so he was beware of them if you will Mark 10:20 and he answered and said unto him master I have observed the all these have I observed or kept or bewared of again I realize that's bad in English from my youth Luke 2:8 and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over or bewaring over their flock by night. So they're, they're tending to it. They're keeping. They're watchful. There's, it's this very, and I put up here, it's a verb, right? Action is required in this beware, right? So this beware is literally like you're walking through, and I'm sorry for the illustri illustration, but you're walking through a cow pasture, right? You need to beware. I don't know if I need to go into any more detail, but you need to beware, right? It's a verb. You cannot be passive, okay? It's not allowed to be passive in this situation. Luke 8, 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, the spirit had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains. He was beware. He was held Right, so it it puts a little bit of a better spin on this word beware. Luke uh, eleven twenty one and twenty eight. When a strong man armed keepeth beware his palace, his goods are in peace. In twenty eight, but he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it, or beware of it. Now, not in a negative way. Right? You don't beware of the word of God, but I'm trying to denote this concept that it's it's a lot of action that's going on here. John twelve, twenty five. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall 
keep it unto eternal life. John 17:12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. So literally, Jesus uses the same Greek word uh, that he has kept his disciples in the same way that Peter uses the word beware. I think that's very interesting. And that's why I do study the Greek sometimes. I don't feel like people have to be a student of the Greek. You do not have to be a student of Greek to understand the Word of God. I don't think you uh, you get more, quote, more blessings the more Greek you know or all the, the syntax and all those things. That's not my point. But it does provide some color in this kind of situation. Paul to Timothy Look at these verses. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. The Lord does this. And, um, or That was in 2 Thessalonians, so it was just Paul. But uh, to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 5, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things. 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. 2 Timothy 1.12, for, uh, for the which cause I have... I, also, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's the same word. It's amazing to me, this, this word beware. It's much more active, right? It's the fork in the road. Peter himself uses this. Obviously, we saw in Second uh, Peter three seventeen, right, the, our our text today. But in Second Peter two five, he says that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah. That word "saved" of Noah is the same word. He kept Noah. God is very proactive in this same concept. So I think that word, this this word beware is, it really, I, I, you know, I personally, it really brought a lot of light to the fact that we're at a fork in the road. And I think I've shared this with, with you before, but one of my favorite secular poems is that of Robert Frost, where he says, I came to the, the fork in the road and I took the road less traveled and it's made all the difference. And I do think that's what we're talking about here. It's gonna take activity it's going to take effort to stay on the godly road, to grow in grace and grow in knowledge. Remember, that's the very, I'm going to back up here. That's the, this is the active path. This is the passive path. Led away with the error of wicked and fall. Like, literally, once you start falling, you can't do anything about that. I mean, in a, from a physics perspective, if I, if I climb up the, the, fire escape and get on top of the roof somehow and I step off doesn't matter how many times I flop my hands I'm gonna fall right it's very passive activity so this is an active process this is a passive process and Sam has talked about that there is a next step in your spiritual growth for everyone in this room it's probably a little bit different we could categorize them into some big buckets, but maybe it's membership in this church. Maybe it, maybe even going farther back, maybe it's salvation, right? Maybe you're not even saved. But then maybe it's following the Lord in baptism or hooking up with this ministry or, or enrolling in discipleship and going to Costa Discipleship, which, by the way, I heard 25 folks went to Costa Discipleship yesterday, so praise the Lord on that. So... It's going to be an active process. You're not going to fall forward and trip into spiritual growth. 
Like that does not happen. Okay, so there's quite this contrast within these, active and passive. So now, this is the point where you flip your page over if you have a page, right? So the notes continue. And what I did, and again, I don't, it was, it's a little new for me, but I created two columns. So the column on the left, and I, I realize it didn't match up perfectly. I guess if you turn it like this, it would be the column on the top, is the passive path. And the column on the right is the active path. So there's going to be some fill in the blanks. And again, nothing major. And I probably won't even call them out. But being led away is a matter of control. Now, it's two-faceted two control. The person who's leading is taking control. And the person who is being led is what? They're giving up control, right? They're giving up control of where they're going. Right, so um, I think we often think of shackles and chains, but how else can you be led, right? I mean, I think if we, we think of being, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see some of these verses here, but how else can you be led other than, you know, the prisoner was led away, right? Um, right, that, that does happen, right? After someone's arrested, they're led away or into the, into the court system, etc. But what are some other ways, and I do want you to verbalize them, what are some other ways that we can be led? Enticed. enticed. That's one of the words I have, you know, there's actually some scriptural support to that. We can be enticed. Now, I have a very personal experience with this. Well, I guess we all do from a sin perspective that we're enticed by things, but I worked at Missouri Town out in Blue Springs when I was in high school. Have you guys ever been out there? Have you guys been out to 1855, middle 1800s place? So I worked down there when, actually it was right after I graduated high school, the summer after my high school year. And uh, one of the days I came in, the cows were gone. Okay, now the cows were the cows that we had trained to be oxen. So I guess by definition, the oxen were gone. So what do you do when your cows are gone out in the middle of, of, of Fleming Park, Lake Giacomo? They could literally be anywhere. I mean, we're not like Native Americans that can track the hoof marks, right? I mean, I'm a college kid that, or a high school kid that just graduated from Truman and not terribly savvy in such things. Well, you wait for somebody to call the county and say, I've got your cows, which is what happens. And they called and they had wandered all the way from, from uh, Missouri town to some of those houses on Colburn, those really nice houses up on Colburn. I don't know if you know the area I'm talking about, but there's some beautiful, beautiful estates with lots of acreage. So they're like in these people's backyards grazing in, in their backyards. So, so we hop in a pickup because it's 1855, but you still got to go get your cows. So we hop in a pickup and I said, to, or before we hopped in the pickup, I said to the, to the guy that was managing the site, I said, do we need some rope? And he goes, no. What would we use rope for? And I'm like, well, how are we going to get the cows back? He goes, I'll show you. So we hop in the pickup. He, we stop at a barn. He gets some stuff, throws it in the back, and we get there. And he gets out, and he hands me two pails of feed. And he says, go over and set the feed down in front of the cows. And so I set the feed down, and of course they smell it. They go and they start eating. He said, now grab the buckets and start walking. So I grab the buckets and I start walking. And what did the cows do? Right behind me. 
And I, I don't want to brag, but I moved several thousand pounds of meat that day from Colburn to back to Missouri Town by holding two buckets of feed. Okay, and it was a little bit of a walk and my arms were in fact a little tired from carrying some feed and some buckets that far. But it's amazing because I didn't have the single bit of control over the cows, but I had control over the cows, if that makes sense. And so this concept of being led away is this matter of control was really important. So this Greek word, again, synepago, is in this, in Romans 12, it says 16, but mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Get to their level. Connect with them because that's how you lead people. Okay? So, lesson for a leader. You don't lead by saying, this is the way it's done. I mean, you can lead that way, but it won't last that long. Okay? You model it. Jesus not only spoke, but he modeled it. Galatians 2.13, and other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Bar uh, Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So he was literally led away in that. Now, when I looked at the, the, and I researched it through scripture through just the phrase led away, so that's the Greek review and the English review, look at some of these. There's a lot more, but I just grabbed a few. In Amos and Nahum, Israel shall surely be led away captive and Nahum and uh, Huzab uh, shall be led away captive. Very kind of negative shackles and chains concept, right? Uh, Luke 21, 24, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword. They shall be led captive of, uh, into all nations. But kind of as Shane mentioned, we can be led away. Lead, uh, look at 2 Timothy 3, 6. Uh, lead captive, uh, captive silly women laden with uh, sins, led away with diverse lusts. So there's, there, it's not just the, although the sin concept can very much feel like and is often the judgment of the Lord associated with the shackles and feeling a lack of freedom, but it's a matter of control and who you're going to let control you, right? So that brings us to our next, the error of the wicked, our next point, and it's a trigger for wrong actions. The error of the wicked. So we're still up on that passive uh, right, that passive process that we could fall because of will be led away at the error of the wicked. And the error of the wicked is to act actually on wrong. Right? So, I'm a little bit of a gun guy. I, you know, I, I enjoy shooting. Uh, it's not something I'm like, you know, I'm not the people in St. Louis that would stand out in my yard and brandish a weapon, so to speak. But I do enjoy going to a range and shooting. So I know enough about weapons, haha, <laughs> literally to be dangerous, um, pun intended. So, but what I do know is if there's no bullet in there, and it's not good for a gun, but if there's no bullet in there, I can cock the gun and I can pull the trigger, and what happens? What happens? Right, not nothing. I think somebody was going to say nothing. Something happens. The hammer goes, dink but it doesn't do anything other than that, right? Now, again, that can be hard on a gun if you do that too much. But you put a bullet in there with a primer and some gunpowder, and all of a sudden you've taken this little dink and you've turned it into a massive explosion that can do an amazing amount of damage, 
right? That's literally the error of the wicked. The error of the wicked is the trigger that causes the, 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 the damage. It isn't necessarily the damage itself. What, look at this. 2 Thessalonians 2.11, For this cause shall God, send the, or God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So the strong delusion, which is the same word as this error of the wicked, the strong delusion causes them to believe and subsequently act on it. James 5.20, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall look at this, save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Because that error in and of itself isn't the problem. The error produces the multitude of sins. Similarly, in 2 Peter 2.18, which we looked at not too many weeks ago, for when they speak with great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. They don't just think in error, they live. Their actions are born out of their error. So this would result, this top pathway, this passive pathway, would result in the fall. The fall from the steadfastness. That is not a loss of salvation. We don't have time to go deeper uh, doctrinally into that. But it is a loss of the steadfastness. It's the what, what some people refer to as losing your testimony. And that's kind of a, I don't particularly like that phrase because you're te- you have a testimony. You can't really lose your testimony. You can lose a good testimony and you can have a bad testimony. But even in that, the Lord can turn that around. Right? So this is that top pathway. Let's spend a few minutes looking at this growing concept. This growing. Now, in the two bubbles, I put grow in grace and grow in knowledge. But I'm going to split it the other way. And we're going to first talk about growth. And then we're going to tie the concepts of grace and knowledge together. Growth or growing is a result of connection. My, my wife was homeschooling our son this last year, and one of the lessons that they did was they put uh, some seeds in dirt, or maybe it was uh, a seedling or something, some stuff in dirt, and uh, I guess it wasn't a seed, and uh, in, in water, right? And the, the plant grew in just water. You probably have seen plants do that um, because they had a connection to the nutrient, right? They had sunlight, and they had connection to the water nutrients, and they were able to grow. I guarantee I am not an expert in this area, but I guarantee if you just laid that plant on the gr- on like the sidewalk and gave it no connection to water or to the earth, it would die. Matter of fact, I live in that because that's what I do when I pull a weed. I just throw it on the ground and then it dies, right? It doesn't find its way back into to so this connection huh? Oh. So thank goodness. Yeah, exactly. Um, this connection is really important. And, and for those of you who have been over to our house, the weeds that grow around our pond are amazing. Like, it's like, it's like my, uh, you know, the, the movie uh, uh, Christmas Story where the, the guy fights with the furnace, right? He cusses a lot. I don't cuss when I fight the weeds, but I fight the weeds around our pond. Like, that's my thing. Right? Or whatever. So, but they grow because they have this constant water supply. The ground around them is always moist. It's always wet because they're in a pond. And they just, they can't help but grow. 
They cannot help but grow. Now, I don't like it in a weed, but I like it in a Christian. You put their 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 spiritual feet in the Word of God in a good local church and, and under good preaching, they can't help but grow. And I say, Mitch, that's different. You just said it's passive. Your, your growth cannot be passive. It's true, but you've got to maintain that connection. Okay? They can't help but grow. They will have to spend time in the Word, etc. Not Psalm ninety two twelve. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow. Like it's a promise. Hosea 14, 5. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily. Like God promises in the Old Testament growth if you connect with him. Ephesians 4, 15. Look at this now. It's interesting because in the New Testament, it's got a little bit of a, just a little bit of a, a concept of a maybe here. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him, uh, uh, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So, you know, you literally take, you know, we've joked, I'm sure I've joked with your kids or joked with mine or whatever about, you know, my goodness, they continue growing, you know, stack books on their head or bricks on their head or what are you feeding them or stop feeding them so they won't grow or write all those little silly cliches and things that, that we say, but you know, there are some kids that have very unfortunate circumstances where they're, you know, locked in cages or locked in closets. They make the news when that stuff comes out. Um, they don't grow right. You know, when they're not when they're not nourished, they don't grow right. So it is this kind of balance between passive. If you're tapped into it, you can't help but grow. And this active, you've got to seek it out. And I say the person, the person that's plugged into the local church, well, they still got to get up on Sunday morning, right? They still got to drive into church. They still got to make themselves available. They still got to read their Bible. They still got to pray. They still got to sign up for cost of discipleship and go every time they meet with the disciple. Like there's still an active component there. And then our last point. Thank you. They too are glad that we're almost done. So by saying last point, y'all were thinking it, they actually clapped. So grace and knowledge is an inseparable pairing. Grace and knowledge is an inseparable pairing. Now notice in 2 Peter chapter 1, so at the beginning of the book, so just like we talked about, there's parallel, there's bookends to this whole path, choice of path concept. This concept is specifically at the beginning and end of the book as well. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. And we talked about that. You can go back and listen to that if you didn't get a chance to hear that. I believe that was recorded and posted. But grace and peace be multiplied through knowledge. Now we like to, we like to kick knowledge because why? Knowledge puffeth up. But not knowledge that is multiplied through grace and peace or that that comes through the multiplication of grace grace and peace is actually how I should have said that. Now, this is an interesting concept because grace and peace and grace and knowledge are kind of like the two sides of the same coin. They're different, but you can't really separate them. Yes, I know you can cut a coin in half, but just bear with me for a second. Grace and truth, John 1, uh, 14 and 17, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
He's not full of grace and has some truth. He's not full of truth and has some grace. He's full of grace and truth. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So just like grace and truth are inseparable concepts, grace and knowledge, believe it or not, are an inseparable pairing. Now you can have knowledge, bad knowledge, but I'm talking about biblical knowledge. I'm talking about true knowledge of God and that relational knowledge. Look at this, because 1 Timothy 2.4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So literally, what grace is obviously very involved in salvation. It's a key component of salvation, but coming to the knowledge of the truth is tied in with the concept of salvation. Now, this is not head knowledge. This is not taking a test to be saved, but the concept is, and, and it's a very real thing. Someone has to understand to be saved. Like, it's kind of a duh. They have to understand it and believe it. 1 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning, so increasing this knowledge, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there is this dichotomy. There is types of truth. And what Peter is talking about here is this pathway of growth, growing in grace and knowledge. They're inseparable. If you grow in knowledge, I would argue, and, and without grace, if you just grow in knowledge, you're at the risk of falling like that first path. You're actually at risk of being led away into error because knowledge has become more important than grace. Okay? And grace and knowledge are, are I would argue, this really intricate vine, this really intricate network that needs to stay together. Okay, and that's why I called it an inseparable pairing. They're not necessarily the opposite sides of the coin, but they work together so intricately. All right. And so with that being said, you know, I just I, I looked for a verse to kind of try to wrap up uh, the entire book, the entire uh, second uh, second letter from Peter. And I know we referenced this last week or the week before. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I mean, that really is the, the way that we grow uh, in grace and knowledge. The way that we stay on that path is through the words of eternal life. So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna pray, but I'd ask you, I mean, you can pack up after I'm done praying, but I'm going to ask you to bear with me for maybe 30 seconds or a minute thereafter. Lord, we do thank you for uh, the time and the word. Just pray that the things that um, you laid on my heart, that I communicated them effectively, uh, that, that I did my part, Lord. I know the Holy Spirit will do his part and that I was just, just my prayer is that I was out of the way. And um, Lord, I just pray for those who are going to to church that you would continue to to teach us and grow us and speak to us for those who have already been lord as they depart from from here uh just lord just help us to be good ministers help us to apply the things you've taught us in jesus name amen two um